passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Eggshells podcast companion. This is an audible companion to the book Eggshells, Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, which goes into detail on every pro wrestling show that's ever happened inside one of Japan's most famous arenas. Uh, in this podcast, we have a different guest each episode to take a look at a different year in Tokyo Dome history. This time, we're looking at 1998. And joining me is a YouTube uh, documentarian. Uh, you might know her more for her video game stuff, but she's also done some uh, really amazing uh, pro wrestling content. It's Kim Justice. Good to finally be on the podcast at last. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. This is, um, yeah, like I said, I've, I've been, uh, I said before, I we come on. I've I've been watching Kim stuff for a long time, but like every wrestling fan um, who watches some other field of content, you know, it's it's like your eyes and ears are permanently pricked for somebody to make some kind of reference to something you like, and it's all <laughs> one of us, one of us, and and um, yeah, if if you watch uh, if you watch Kim's uh, video game stuff. Um, then you you kind of see that that you you make cuts that are deep enough. <laughs> it's like oh yes. I, I should suddenly, probably yes, that again. suddenly randomly reference i don't know bastion boog or something in my video <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's kind of pretty obscure but yeah i mean i've been a fan of wrestling for basically as long as i can remember when did you get into japanese wrestling i got into japanese wrestling i think um it was actually not long after i kind of started regularly going on the internet so probably about 1998 was when i started hearing about it and you suddenly hear about, oh, there's all this amazing wrestling from Japan. And it used to often be in um, in the UK. I mean, well, you probably know. There's a magazine called uh, Power Slam. Yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, um, I'm not sure if it still exists these days. But um, but that used to often have a lot of details about, you know, these brilliant Japanese wrestlers. And I think even some of the stuff that we're going to be covering today, I remember reading that specifically in their pages. So what? In Oki's retirement and all that. Was it something we used sort of tape trading in the in the late nineties, or was it just sort of message boards and and Parislam? It was mostly message boards back in the day. I mean, I don't really didn't really do much tape trading. I'd had some bad experiences in other areas for that. But um, when we kind of finally got like decent internet, I, that's when I kind of really started like downloading a lot of stuff, downloading like Misawa matches, Kawada, Kabashi. I was a big fan of all Japan in the main. And um and a lot of like and also like the New Japan Junior stuff. I watched a lot of like Jushin Liger, and people like that. And that's kind of where my interest started. Cool. Yeah. It's 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 appropriate then that that your fandom started in 1998, <laughs> and that being what yeah. we're looking at uh, mm. now. A, a big year. A big year. Like all around, right? Because um, most definitely. Yes. Yeah. A lot of things a lot of things happened. A lot of things happened in in wrestling. This is probably one of the most newsworthy episodes of this this podcast so far. Um, but just generally in, I guess, Japan, in pop culture, and and everything else, like 1998 in in Japanese video games to to get into your into your wheelhouse, Kim. It was Res Resident Evil Two, Final Fantasy Tactics, Yoshi's Story, yes. Prince of Dragoon Saga, X Men vs Street Fighter, F Zero X, Metal Gear Solid. Uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time and the Dreamcast all, all it's basically in one year. a Hall of Fame 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was especially. I mean, nineteen ninety eight especially. That was um, the first kind of full year I had PlayStation. And um, after specifically, I mean, because Final Fantasy VII came out here late nineteen ninety seven. So through 1998, it seemed like most everyone was playing that as well. So suddenly we really got into Japanese RPGs, which had been quite um, a small thing before because they were usually only available on import mm. from the US releases mm-hmm. until Final Fantasy VII. Um, so there was that. Um, wrestling game-wise, I think the main thing I played on PlayStation was WWF Warzone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have it good on the PlayStation. It's, well, N sixty four N sixty four had Revenge, of course, and Virtual Pro Wrestling. Yeah, right. we had Wii also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there was the the first Virtual Pro Wrestling. What what became WCW versus the World was yeah, that uh, was that, that was kind of okay. And then that made it. Um, yeah, but then that. <laughs> but then yeah, even like Fire Pro Wrestling G wasn't out until ninety nine, I think. Um, late yeah, yeah. FPG. yeah there you go and, I mean, and fire pro was um again i mean that was something that i when did i start hearing about i think the first fire pro i heard about was d but i never had a dreamcast right right so i didn't really and um so i kind of heard about latvia's and it was only until well i started playing the old one of the old snes ones on emulator uh, fire pro wrestling x premium yeah i think most people probably know and um, eventually, I mean, 2005 or so, I pretty much just, I got a PS2 modded just for Fire Pro Returns. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, the history of that series, that it sort of started PC Engine, then it went, it was mm. like synonymous with the Super Famicom. And then, I guess I because Nintendo 64 was like the, the 3D platform, you know, so, yeah. but even... even even PlayStation, like, you know, there, there was that really bad 3D one that they made. Um, so yes, um, what was that Iron Slam? Iron Slam 96, yeah. And then, yes. yeah, but it became it became a Sega thing for a while because, like, Six Man Scramble, Hyper S was really Six good. Man, yeah. Which was a very good game. Yeah, yeah. And D, of course. And, and then D, yeah. And um, to tie it all back with, with the 98 releases I, I mentioned, um, there was a fantastic um, commercial that I came across uh, doing research. Actually, yeah, I think I was researching something different. It wasn't for the podcast or the book, actually. But, like, there is a commercial for Zelda Ocarina of Time, um, which heavily features Akira Maeda playing. <laughs> 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 yeah, はい。じゃあ、ヘンデンドーロクジュンのセルダの伝説。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ。ワオ
if if you know your your virtual fighter, he, d- he does the giant swing in the game. It's like oh, yes. he's, a, he's a wrestling character. Got to get him to mm. do the giant swing. And so like um, people were asking Giant Barbara like at the press conference introducing Jim Steele, are, are you going to teach him to do the giant swing? And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, because they they just bought yeah. Hassian. <laughs> Giant, giant Bab would know. Yeah, they just bought Hussey, and obviously Giant Bab knows so much about video games. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the top number one uh, hit in the singles chart in 1998 in Japan was Blaze. Japanese it's Japanese pop, Kim. I know nothing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can contribute literally nothing to that place. <laughs> there you go. This, this happens every time. Here's <laughs> our number one. No, nobody nobody bites on it. I'm, I'm, I'm one day, you'll say a pop expert. One day. One day. <laughs> perhaps who knows? Next time when we have Dan Lavransky on to talk about ninety nine, he'll he'll know. Uh, mm. The number one t- pop hit. Um, so yes, uh, on this ca- on this podcast, we go through each card uh, that's happened in a specific year and choose um, a match each to talk about. And uh, typically, I've noticed Kim whenever I, I throw it open to we're going to look at a New Japan show. Um, you know, I ask my guests to to pick a match, and mm. um, by and large, everybody always goes for the juniors, and uh, that's what you did. So you're you're keeping yes, up the, the trends, yeah, yeah, of, of picking. Up. I I will tend to choose the what's the most historically significant, whether it's any good or not. <laughs> watch that. <Yeah>. Whereas, <laughs> like, uh, the guest will be like, "Oh, if I have to rewatch something, it, it better be something good." Um, so, yes, what what caught your eye about uh, Shinjiro Otani versus uh, Ultimo Dragon? Well, um, I was able to find um, some of it because I'm one of those people who, well, I don't have New Japan World, but I did manage to find um, a clipped TV version which showed, like, the last half of the match. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I remember, I mean, because I think, I mean, Atani and Dragon had lots of singles matches together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, I think, um, they were certainly one of the ones I first saw and they just always seemed to work well. I mean, Atani, um, Atani's a strange character for me, isn't he? I mean, I don't know if he is to you. I mean... This was kind of back in his like prime days, and I really thought that watching him back then, that he would end up being a lot bigger than he became. Mm. And you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think he was um, somewhat. Mm, he was still really, really hot in like two thousands or going into the two thousands, and then he sort of hitched his wagon to Shinya Hashimoto and went off to zero one. And he went to zero one. Really yeah. came back. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like but he did some work in Noah. Didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he's... And obviously, uh, he bogged up for that. I mean, he's still pretty wiry. Mm. And and he always shows such great fire, I think. And you definitely see it in the match with Ultimo. Um, I mean, because it's a brilliant closing sequence. I mean, Ultimo Dragon... um, I have to say, I've never been a, I've never been the biggest Ultimo fan. I mean, sometimes like, he does stuff that is quite, sl- that can be quite sloppy. I mean, it tends to work out, but sometimes it's like, oh god. Like there's one spot in um, this sequence where he does, um, he does a moon salt um, from the um, floor to window, an acai moon salt essentially. Yeah. Um, but he does it off the, he does it off the second rope inside of the ring. Mm. And it's like, and you almost think, oh, God, like he just misses the apron. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. God, that could have been bad. And like, and Atani barely catches him as well. It's yeah. like, and you kind of think, why don't you just do it off the top? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. just little things like that. But generally, Ultimo is really good in this match. Um, a lot of it is about um, Ultimo Dragon often trying for the uh, Maestral, Maestral Cradle, which appeared to be his like death move around that time. I mean, I think. I mean, this wasn't time. Um, Atani was defending. This was a title match, yeah. so this wasn't really the time when Ultimo had like, you know, like there's the famous picture of him with like how many belts was it in the J Crown? It was eight, and then it went to seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So Atani was defending that at that point. Um, but um, And finally, Ultima manages to get the Maestro and but Atani breaks out. And finally, um, and Atani does often, as he's often seen do, he does his fire spots, he does his springboard drop kicks, um, tries often for the dragon suplex. And it's it's a very it's kind of a very typical like closing sequence like your average junior heavyweight sequence um, for the time in especially in a big Tokyo Dome show but the crowd really gets het up for it. Yeah, yeah, and like the the two dragons that that finish it that sort of plays yeah. off a spot earlier on where like Atani hits a, a dragon earlier on in the match and like dragon kicks out. But then he can't find his feet for like another, you know, 30 seconds afterwards, you know, even though it's like earlier on in the match, they establish like really well that, that if he can get the, if Atani can get the, the, the dragon suplex off when like Ultimate Dragon's been damaged enough, um, yeah. then, then it's over, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah. And like a lot of it, you kind of have like this, this storyline that Atani has been doing you know at this point he'd be doing it for for a couple of years and we'd still do it for another couple of years but to come but like a tiny like the the straight shooter against the the flashy masked gimps you know so it's it's him hating everything that's that's too flashy (laughs) that's too intricate but like ultimate dragon doing a lot of like lucha submission work at the start that does kind of prove effectively um but uh yeah then when it it does get going a little bit too much you you kind of see dragon you know a tiny like catches dragon being a little bit too flash and and that's what costs him in the end so um yeah i mean uh, really really good and i think uh this is i kind of feel like dragon watching dragon now as opposed to watching dragon when we were first talking about him on this podcast was like 1991 with like the SWS stuff when he was coming in from UWA, like he, you really feel how much more fluid, you know, even though he isn't always there in, in every single uh, instance, he's, he's clearly so much the better for perhaps having worked in America at this point and like having sure. such a, a much more broad um, sort of yeah, curriculum. Been at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my pick for this one was uh, Ricky Choshu's retirement match, or should I say matches? Uh, yes, six matches. The, the final, match. the final five. He had five, and then he had a retirement ceremony. But the the wow. Ricky Choshu final message five when um, wow. when when beating one guy on the way out isn't enough. You got just isn't enough. And they're all really short matches too. I mean, I wasn't able to find this unfortunately, but I'm looking mm. at the card now. Um, r- weird selection of wrestlers too. I mean, do they all have? I mean, so it's uh, for G- Kazuyuki Fujita, yeah, um, Yutaka Yoshi, yeah, <laughs> uh, Tatsuhito Takaiwa, yeah. uh, Takashi Yazuka, and Yushin Liger. Do all these wrestlers have something in common? Well, yeah, kind of. So like, Choshu is choosing his his dojo charges for the most part that's like how fujita gets in and that's how yutaki Yoshie got in and like they're not these guys like are they're like young lions but they're not really like both of them had been injured and like suffered a bunch of setbacks so like they'd kind of this was like three or four years after they debuted but they still weren't really anybody uh significant Um, not really not yeah yeah and then it's so here's there's the choshu giving him you know their big spot and like perhaps that's that's why he calls it like the final message five is sending a message mm. to them i think when it comes to fujita especially who you know in his spot did precisely fuck all except for you know just uh <laughs> just getting some elbows and kicks and like kind of a weak headlock and then he gets backdropped and pinned you know i think like yeah. the message was probably delivered like when he got backstage and he was probably solidly mm. yelled at for like, you know, a good few minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just a uh, very bizarre, I think like the person that got hurt the most was Tatsuhito Takaiwa at this point. Um, his match is only one twenty one. Yeah. And he's a guy that was going to get kind of focused on, you know, over the next, over the next few months. And like, he was a really promising uh, junior heavyweight. And um, it was, again, know, another guy didn't really amount he teamed with Atani a lot. Funny he enough. did team with Atani a lot, and like it was a great, great team. Um, <laughs> you know, especially in 1990, 2000. But he was kind of always under somebody else's shadow a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the Liger match was the, the longest of the, of the five. Um, yes. And features a Ricky Choshu plancher. <laughs> wow. For perhaps like the first and last time um, <laughs> you, you ever saw that. And, uh, and then, yeah, Takashi Izuka. Who would have thought? Um, he the, beats Ricky Choshu. He beats Ricky Choshu, yeah. And like, yeah, this was Izuka kind of always, he'd been around for about a decade at this point. Yeah, um, he's been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, he still is around. Obviously. Still is, yeah. yeah. And he's mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, they sort of, it, it was kind of very stop and start for him, like always, all the way through uh, the, the 90s. And he's kind of, he eventually got kind of elevated to a semi-main event level status for a brief period in 2000 um because he yeah. teamed with with Shinya Hashimoto when like the the stuff was happening with Naryogawa um mm. but uh yeah it it this was supposed to be his his big big thing and uh it it really kind of really really wasn't um mm. but yeah with your sort of time Kim coming into uh the Japanese wrestling scene in, in 98 are you particularly familiar with with Rika Choshu's stuff um no, I've watched a few things of his. I once I was that familiar with him because obviously he just retired, and I know he came back a couple of years later. Mm, yes, he did. Yeah, um, to work with he came um, back to work the match against Anita, which yeah. was basically an entrance match. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it? Match was, <laughs> was about five minutes. Um, I think I've watched a couple of his stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm aware of like his major like sort of like storyline bits, um, like the um the Ishingen army and all of that, mm. and sort of like feuding with feuding with like the UWF. That he was a massive part of that, mm. of course. Mm. And often like his opponents like Fujinami in particular, and obviously and obviously of course going back to Maida, the rather infamous moment when Maida kicked him in the head a bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Just a, just a little <laughs> just a little bit yes they obviously um, get along <laughs> yeah are you familiar with a man who could well have been Ricky Choshu too um wasn't that Ishii it was well no later on it could have been, it could well have been Ishii because uh, Choshu was was very much a, a fan of Ishii's and kind of got well, his yeah. got Ishii his job in New Japan but, mm. um, yeah, thinking one step earlier than that, Kensuke Sasaki was actually pitched um, to be Ricky Choshu 2. Yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, the, he was, at, at about this time, it was like, Ricky Choshu's retiring, um, and Kensuke was, was approached with, uh, do you want to be Ricky Choshu? You know, so he would just, <laughs> like, show up, and he wasn't Kensuke Sasaki anymore. He would actually have been called Ricky Choshu. Um, oh, wow, to, really? Yeah, and um, yeah, Sasaki. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a terrible idea, and, and, and he, he nixed it and, and said no to it. But you kind so of mm. who thought of that one up? I wonder who could who who could have thought such a silly thing up? Uh, yeah, um, it could have been the same. Yeah, the same person that wanted to have five retirement matches, perhaps. <laughs> but even then, like this. Um, you, know, you feel, oh, Rick Joshi having five retirement matches, how extravagant, how self-absorbed, how, you know, all of this. But he yeah. finishes the five retirement matches and he sort of, he has, um, they give him a proper ceremony at the end of the show, but like kind of mm-hmm. earlier, you know, this is in the mid card. He just sort of yeah, has. Yeah, not the end of the card. Yeah, he has a little greeting. He's like, you know, thank you mm-hmm. for helping me after all of these years. And who fucking hijacks this sequence? But Antonio Inoki, who like. Oh. <laughs> sort of pats him on the back and then says, "Oh, by the way, yeah, um, my retirement's in April." So it comes to that. You got you got to love Inoki. Exactly. He's, yes. He's yeah. Such a nut. He's such a dick. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you could you could call him the Hulk Hogan of Japan, but the truth is he's worse than that. <laughs> I, I yeah 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 yeah. I, I, <laughs> there's there's certainly yeah a, a, a school of thought that that Inoki certainly knew went went a hot dog and um, oh, yes. he did that yeah. But <laughs> I mean, much like much like Hulk Hogan, you know, Inoki was uh, legitimately a megastar, and that's that's what meant. Um, that's what led to the the next show we're looking at in in April, which was yep. Inoki the final, the largest gate, 
the largest gate gym in Japanese wrestling history. Wow, 70,000 approximately. Allegedly. <laughs> Probably more like 50, but I mean, they were paying an awful lot of money. Oh, yeah. um, so it's the largest gate financially. And this is the, the one thing where it's so hard for us and every, everybody sort of writing about um, Japanese wrestling. It's so hard to, to tell how many people you can fit in the Tokyo Dome. Um, yeah. It's not ever been official. Yeah, there's there's never been like I mean they've sold it out a ton of times, but when the first thing you run in a Tokyo Dome is like a baseball game where they already inflated the attendance by ten thousand on the very first <laughs> thing they fucking did in that building, so like it's so hard to figure out you know because the, okay we've sold it out again. But we sold it out last year too, so we have to give them a bigger number to make it look like it's a bigger deal. So it's oh, we've <laughs> we've done sixty three, we've done sixty five, we've done seventy. <laughs> so now that there is a policy in New Japan to give the honest numbers, hopefully when they they get to the point where they can sell it out, then we'll know how many people get in there. Um, but here, sure. like, there were a lot of accounts that they let people in to like the merch area and stood and standing in the aisles as well. So they broke the fire code in the building. It was like past capacity. Wow. Um, but we don't know what the capacity is. But we don't actually have an official exactly. number. So they're exactly. basically just letting everyone in through the door. Like, oh yeah, come in, watch, exactly. yeah, watch, yeah. The, watch the show. <laughs> yeah. But like I like that people drifted. Mm. The Alamodome. Yeah, there you go. The, uh, the biggest uh, financial gate in Japanese history. This was the biggest gate in wrestling history, period, until WrestleMania 23. Um, wow. So, yeah, a, a huge, huge deal. Um, as how much were, they pay, were the actual paying audience? Well, how much worth they were tickets, do you know? God, I don't know. I think, like, I want to say it's in the $3 million range was the gate in total so yeah i don't know um yeah i don't have the number in front of me but it was definitely something something like that um antonio noki is a, a weird one isn't he is especially like to us as as foreign fans um of japanese wrestling that he was such you don't understand without being here in japan like how big of a cultural icon uh, in Oki I think you have to be there, don't you? Yeah, and you had I to mean, probably be there at the time as well. You know, it's 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 all very well like me, like I live here, but like I'm sort of thirty years removed from from the fact yeah. where like Lori does. Yeah, I mean, I mean, oh, essentially, wasn't he basically doing? I mean, because obviously he and um, Baba mm. were Ricky Dozan's trainees. Yes, and Ricky Dozan is the biggest star in Japanese yeah. history. Um, and I mean, and you look at that, you know, he, and he was kind of, he was kind of cutting a similar path to Ricky Dozen. Mm, yeah. Like he fought a lot of his opponents. I mean, obviously he famously fought Lou Fez. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously there was Ali as well. I mean, he was already a legend in Japan by that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Carl Botch. Right, right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, th- I think, yeah, who, who was more of a, of a Ricky Dozan disciple? I don't know whether, you know, whether it was Inoki or whether it was, it was Baba. Tough like, one. there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to, to question there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what's your kind of take? Because, like, we get, even in the West, you, you would get things like, even to, to bring it around back to video games, you get something like pro wrestling on the NES. Where like Antonio yeah. Inoki's in there, like as a as a fake Antonio Inoki, but you know we don't know that. You know? Inoki is in one one of you guys recognize Inoki. You can find him in so many games, not just wrestling games. Obviously, pro wrestling where he's fighter Hayabusa. Even um regular fighting games, you see him a lot. Like you just see like a generic wrestling character, and even if it's just totally generic black, you know, black pants mm. and all that, it's Inoki. Yes. Like yeah. you, you can clear this out. Like you look and move it. Like um, even like I've been doing um a fighting game video recently, which is out on well, I say it's out tomorrow, but it's already out by the time you hear this. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I looked at um Air Geese on the oh, PS1, yeah, yeah. and you know it's in there. <laughs> right, <laughs> he's all over the shop. You you can find him just so many places. Yeah, yeah, 
it's uh yeah it's, it's amazing how pervasive um he was and was it is it then then a, a little bit weird kim to to go back and and have explored inoki's career like retrospectively like uh, watching him do you have you like watched old inoki stuff and then kind of thought oh yeah i i get it or was it oh yeah um, I've, I've, i do get it i mean i've watched um and I've like examined Inoki a bit. I mean, I did. Um, I mean, obviously, I did a video on um the famous um collision in Korea, mm. um, the North Korea show, the biggest. Well, as you were saying, it's the biggest wrestling show of all time, or attendance-wise, even if it's probably not paid. Yes. <laughs> in in the Mayday Stadium, which is holds one hundred and fifty thousand people, mm-hmm. it's the biggest stadium in the world, essentially. And obviously, that features like the one-time match between Inoki and Flair. Yes. And and even the thing about that match, in, in with an audience, I mean, they probably knew who Inoki was. I don't know if they knew who Flair was. Mm. Um, but even with that audience who basically know nothing about pro wrestling, they still, both of them, managed to get them really excited. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Not hating that match. And, I mean, and even like towards the end, I mean, some of his some of his best matches come towards the end. I mean, particularly one against Lee, sadly, recently passed Vader. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. It's a fantastic match. Mm. I mean, I think Inoki, I mean, as as big an ego as Inoki was, I don't think he was afraid to be carried to really good matches, and he certainly wasn't afraid to take massive bumps. Yeah, and it was, he was, I think, like, there, there was a different philosophy in Japanese wrestling and perhaps it, it's I don't know whether it's a different whether it's a Japanese or a Western thing but certainly like of the time as compared to today and like there's a lot of people will talk and like Gedor wrote it in his book that um, you know he related a, the story that he'd heard that everybody would go out to, to dinner and mm. you know Inoki would go out to dinner with the boys and like somebody would say somebody would like toast in Oki and kind of say, Oh, everybody, we have to remember and we have to thank the man who's letting us eat, you know, <laughs> because if he, you know, if it wasn't for this man right here, none of us would be able to have this dinner, you know? And wow. there was very much like this thing of people perhaps knowing their place a little bit yeah. more and whether you'd call that gratitude or whether like these days it'd be, Oh, you've, you know, the Western philosophy is like, Oh, you've, you've yeah, you you've got to grasp, or like you've got to grasp the the brass ring, brother. Like you're never going to get anywhere with that mentality, kind of thing. Um, One thing I noticed as well, comparing the Enokian Choshu retirements, um, I don't know if there's really a culture in Japan of. I mean, because normally the culture in American wrestling is if you're retiring, you go out on your back, mm. which neither Choshu or Enoki did. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, I think Choshu, in a sense, perhaps he was, he did want to elevate Izuka a little bit, and perhaps that just didn't work out the way he intended. Um, Inoki, I think that there was a lot of, he had been talking about, like, losing to to Don Fry. Um, And then he was talked out of it, I believe. The um, but there was an ulterior motive to this, and they, there's always the thing is when you you watch Inoki and, and every time Inoki wrestles or, or Inoki does ever, anything, like one of the things that that made him such a good promoter, like there's always some ulterior motive to what he's doing, and yes. so you had this tournament leading up to this this final where in the end he did beat Don Fry, and it was like a, what a three minute match, a very very short yeah. match. Um, I mean Inoki was hurting yeah. at I mean, the time. All the matches in the tournament are pretty much nothing matches. You get some, I mean, interesting people in there, like some who are completely obscure. I mean, obviously you've got Naya Ogawa, who goes mm. on to become a pretty big figure. Yes. Around 2000, so wins the title, won the NWA title as well. Yeah. We've got and... Brian Johnston, who... <laughs> no, nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he was trained by Brad Reingans. Well, there he you also trained Vader, um, yeah. yeah, and he's named after an ACDC sinner. Um, <laughs> there you are. Obviously, Don Fry. Um, anyone who's familiar with UFC MMA is going to know who Don Fry is. People, obviously, famously, most famously, probably known for his match against the Almighty Takayama in yeah. Pride, which is just yeah. ridiculous. 
and and then you've got Igor Minder, who is so obscure he doesn't even have a page on Cage Match. <laughs> but yeah. I did see, and this is weird. Um, the only thing I could find for Igor Minder, I certainly couldn't find the match in the Inoka tournament, but he he apparently was on the first Pride card against um, Hiroki Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Oh, that name. Yeah. Um, legendary practitioner of Kyokushin Karate. Ah, well, there you are. So he was on that, and um, and he won, and he beat Kurosawa. Well, Kurosawa was, he got injured. He, he couldn't walk. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So those were the semifinals. And yeah. To go in the final match. Yeah. And that was the idea, really, and and the the reason why, you know, there's there's some names that aren't familiar to perhaps you or me, Kim, mm-hmm. as like predominantly pro wrestling fans, but yeah. um, they perhaps were at least had somewhat, maybe some steam in in mixed martial arts circles. Yes, and, I mean, Agawa was a legit was a legit. Well, judo. of course, yeah, and Agawa at this point, so. You know, to to recap our 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 legacy of UFO up to this point is the 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 whole idea behind the the tournament was to elevate his his guys his twin aces, which were Don Fry and Nario Agawa, um, because he was launching his. I think at this point it was still going to be an MMA promotion called UFO, yeah. and yes. that was that's what was going to happen in in the autumn. And then by the time it did launch, it it kind of just became another. UWFI light, you know, pro wrestling thing. Um, but uh, yeah, at, at this point, Nario Ogawa had uh, done two matches with Shinya Hashimoto, like one match where he'd won, and that was uh, meant to gain, garner him a, a lot of attention. Um, you know, he, he beat Hashimoto in a non title match, and then, you know, that earned him a title match in the Osaka Dome, which he lost. Um, so he was one on one with Hashimoto, and he was like, he would be set to face Hashimoto again in in January 4th 1999 which was a very very controversial match which we'll talk on talk about on the next podcast yeah but that's another day yeah I mean like the mm-hmm. the whole idea here was um you know they were running an angle effectively from February through to April between Agara and and Don Fry and so, mm. like, they'd show up at different signing events, press conferences, you know, after matches or whatever, and, and brawl around a little bit. And <laughs> so the, the story of the the tournament was, like, Ogawa was training with Inoki. So, like, Ogawa was Inoki's in pick, you know. Yeah. Um, and so they went off and did a camp in, in Okinawa. And so this very almost... Um, old school like the, this kind of nostalgia story really like the the invading american force you know don fry was supposedly going to be the the foreign ace of uw of ufo and yeah. um you know so he he came in and like of course he he beats ogawa so like uh who's left you know who's the only <laughs> valiant uh japanese uh baby face to take away the foreign ace is is enoki you know even though <laughs> yeah, even though you know Don Fry was supposed to be the 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 lead act of your next company, lead, yeah. you know, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's very it's very classically self defeat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, the, but Inoki, yeah. yeah, Inoki basically squashes Don Fry. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, I've only seen the highlights, um, but he does he does all his he gets all his shit in essentially. He gets in the Enziguri, finishes him off with the octopus hold, yeah, and does a big speech in the ring. Yep. Um, walks out to uh, Beethoven's fifth. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, and there, there's, yeah, some, some great shots of, like, you know, that, that and, last speech, and, and it's very well done. And and Muhammad, uh, Ali, Muhammad Ali was there as well, yeah. Yeah, walks out, lights a flame, uh, got paid, I think, about $600,000 uh, just nice. to do what he did there. So that's a nice, tidy, yep. tiny payday. <laughs> yeah, pretty neat. Um <laughs> Yeah, and and that was that was Inoki, but uh, it wasn't just Inoki running in the Tokyo Dome in in 1998, um, yep. which is a rarity. You know, I mean, like it, it's kind of usually you know even when there were other companies around that could run in the Tokyo Dome, um, people always viewed it as a New Japan building, um, and they certainly didn't view it as an All Japan building. They they All Japan had, had run it um, in 1990 had done the wrestling summit um, with the WWF and New Japan, which was like a, a political shit show. 
um, and uh, you know really hadn't bothered with it because um, All Japan were in, intent on running the Budokan for most of the time. That was their building, right? Mm. Um, and just the idea of like All Japan in a stadium show, it wasn't perceived as like All Japan like it's kind of off brand you know in yeah, in a way of what was perceived to be um and that's why you know the the 98 show uh the anniversary show we're looking at here um kind of has a very strange feel to it i don't know if you picked up that's on this kim strange. like it's strange to see a tokyo dome uh show without a huge stage where it's just like a ring on a platform you know it is yeah it's um it is very strange i mean considering because i mean new japan i mean but even even back in those days but especially now a tokyo dome show is almost like a wwe show with yes. its pop and circumstance whereas kind of like the stuff that i watched from this show almost just felt like your regular all japan tv like you know you've got like you've still got you know yeah it's all very kind of jolly and it just happens to be in the tokyo dome and they got um i mean again the average attendance is they well they have fifty eight thousand three hundred here i don't know what yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would say probably not, but I'm not sure that it's as exaggerated as 70,000 was. Because, um, I mean, the one the thing is, if you get rid of the stage, you can fit a lot more people in there. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, like, my instinct is to say that that is high, but at the same time, like, it seems a little bit more realistic. Um, I mean... It's pretty much jacked, isn't it? I mean, there's mm. only one person missing from it, and I'm guessing that was due to... Oh, no, no, he's not. No, it's basically jacked. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But, I mean, a, a different... You know, you're, it's an interesting time in all Japan here, certainly. Like, you know, here's where, like, Bobby's health starts to fail. Um, yes. You know, yeah. here's where Jumbo Suruta has, like, a... a you know, gets into his 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 bout of another bout of sickness that would eventually see him die in two thousand. Yeah. Um, I mean, within two years, both Bubba and Suto are dead after this show. Yeah, and um, so you know, this is around the time when Mitsuhiro Misawa gets the book uh, of the company um, from Bubba. Uh, literally the, the story of this is that Bubba calls Miss Hour into his office, uh, before a show and he just like says, you do it. <laughs> and, and that was it. Um, which was Bubba's way. Of, yeah. It was, it was literally, it was Bubba's way of, of doing it. Like, it, mm. especially with Miss Hour, like there was, there's the story where like Miss Hour was on excursion in Mexico and he, he gets woken up at like three in the morning by this phone call from Japan. He picks up the phone and like, um, Bubba, all he, all he says is, um, can you stand on the ring post? Like, are you able to hop up and stand on the and balance on the ring post? He goes, yeah, I think so. And Bubba goes, okay, you're, you're, you're on the next flight <laughs> first thing in the morning. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, he, he, tiger outfit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, he, again, he walks into Bubba's office and there's like the outfits there. He's like, put this on. Um, yeah. You so, boy. <laughs> right <laughs> exactly but um you you are seeing that i mean of course Miso again the book you, you start to see this antagonism between or more of an antagonism between giant baba and and uh mrs Mutoko baba as well Mutoko, yes yeah uh and just a, a big change in philosophy is happening in general because all japan mm. was very much a walled garden through the 1990s and uh nobody and nobody out you know like yeah. the, the everybody was an, an all japan person if you're a foreign guy coming in then you're a foreign guy with all japan and nobody else um mm. and here you're starting to see as we mentioned before like they bring hasei in they start working yeah. with fmw like they invaders in. in you know yeah. so you start to see them like talking a lot more and start to to break down these rules and and try to money uh, trying to modernize and I think like a lot of that was at the behest of like, um the the TV and TV uh, who wanted to kind of revitalize the product a little bit. And yeah, because it was a bit. Um, well, it was. I mean, because it's. I mean, AJ, all Japan's like prime time was like mid. Well, early mid nineties, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's it's not well, it's not down, but it's it's peaked. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely has. And so there was this kind of, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of pros and cons between do we work in the Tokyo Dome at all? And like a lot of the people didn't want to do it. And then, you know, NTV wanted it. And they, they you know, it was kind of pitched as, okay, we're going to kind of use this as a soft reset for the entire thing. Like this is the new All Japan Pro Wrestling, you know? And so they were going to have... There was going to be an exploding ring death match on this show with Anita on it, and that got next eventually. Um, you know, there, there was all sorts of stuff. There was going to be, um, you know, they were they were talking with WWF, and you know how far that goes. I don't know that there, there was a line. You know, as, as much as I could find out was that Miss Hour was going to be facing a top WWF guy. Which um, I asked Meltzer about that, and he said, you know, I mean, the only people he could think of would be either Michaels. Michaels was hurt at the time, so I mean, like, the only person he could think of was Austin. So I mean, mm. like, the, the prospect that you could have had Mitsuru Masara versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in the Tokyo Dome would would have been That's, it would have been insane. Have, yeah, yeah, but just incredibly <laughs> bizarre, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean that's I mean that's like even even stay I mean as open as wrestling is becoming you still couldn't imagine like WrestleMania being headlined by Okada versus Reigns exactly you can't really imagine that happening <laughs> yeah yeah and and it didn't you know apparently the, the the talks never got you know as as serious as as all that but um, yeah eventually it was kind of. Mm, compromised a, a little bit i would say where they but you know baba's philosophy was okay well if we're running in the dome then we have to have our best match you know we have to appeal to our base otherwise nobody's going to come you know and uh, they did the marquee match of course they did the the marquee match which was yeah, yeah Miss with Kawada. the marquee title change as yeah. well yeah Kawada, Kawada defeats misawa for the first time in a in um well in a title match it wasn't the first time he beat him in a singles match wasn't it Right, right. Champions Carnival, I think, and yeah, yeah. Um, and, and as you say, I mean, it feels like yeah, it's a reboot. So Kawada wins the title on this show and holds it for a month. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, yeah. I mean, that but that's the that's the thing that that happens from time to time, is especially. Why do you think they they never? I mean. Well, I mean, obviously, Kawada then goes on to win the title again in 1999, but he breaks mm. his arm in the match. Yes. Was that yeah. when they were actually... Do you reckon that was when they were going to push, actually pull the trigger on Kawada and potentially give him a long reign? You know, I, I really don't know about that, but, I mean, perhaps maybe that's why he stayed, you know, after after yeah. all of that, you know. And yeah. like, there's certainly, like, hints of that, you know, sort of reading... Um, how Kawada was was feeling at this point, you know. But I mean, Kawada and Misawa, who were joined at the hip pretty much since high school, you know, in the, yeah. in the same class, in the same high school wrestling team, and, and all of this stuff, you would have thought that um, Misawa going off starting Noah and taking all those guys with him, that, that Kawada would have been on that on that boat. You and then he, yeah, he decided to stay, and he decided to stay. See a bit yeah. of friction. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, you know, but that was. I, I yeah, I, I have it. Whether whether you think it was sort of a chance there for Kawada to sort of step out of the shadow and and it could uh, well have been, yeah. Them. I mean, it's it's not their greatest match, of course, but I mean, well, any time, any time these guys get together, obviously, you get a classic. Yeah, yeah, it it is still a, mm. a, a very much a, a magical match. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and of course, speaking of guys who never really ever got the trigger pulled on them, obviously you've got Akiyama against Hase on this show. Which you picked. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, like you said, yeah, I, I, well, Hase and Akiyama both in a, in a way, like, in terms of trigger being pulled on them. Hase yeah. is one of my favorites, like, you know, if people were He's saying, so you yeah, uh, well, it's like of, of all the people I think that, um, that were never IWGP champion, you know, um, he, he, only ever, he, he barely ever had a shot, didn't he? Right. Well, didn't he I, have one shot? Yeah, there you go. But like he, he kind of he left early, you know. Ultimately, yeah. And you know, he was, he had his sort of political career mm, go. Yeah, he, you know, this was the early stages of his political career, and then you know he was he was gone in ninety six. In you know at the start of ninety six, and then he was you know in all Japan just a few months later. You know. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, very interesting match this one with with Hase and, mm. and Akiyama on a lot of different levels because I'm you you had the story here where um, Hase was Akiyama's senior in university, so they'd, wow. they'd both been in the same school and again in the same uh, you know wrestling club in, 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 yeah. in university. So like there was that aspect to it. Um, and then you had the aspect of Hase being uh, a student of Inoki, very much actively trained by Inoki, and like Akiyama being uh, really the last student of Baba, like the last yeah. proper student of Baba. You know, really, you know, after that, it was he was much more sort of hands off and not doing much. But like Akiyama was the last sure. guy that, that Baba really, really trained. So this mm. was a real thing of. Um, barbarism versus Nokiaism, perhaps, if you want to call it that, but like strong mm. style versus auto, like King's Road, like that, yeah, that definitely. difference, which, is, which I think is really interesting in this match. I think it's interesting because, I mean, they both kind of take, I think in the match, like Akiyama does have like, he kind of, they both kind of trade, like it's not just pure, like Akiyama does a bit of like more strong style, mm. and especially when he works over Hase's leg. Yeah which plays heavily into the end of the match. And Hase really gets in the Kings Road. Like, there's this really, like, crazy sequence where, you know, you get, like, Uenage, Exploder, Uenage, yes. Exploder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, so they're really getting into each other's stuff. But, yeah, I mean, and I think kind of another thing it seemed like, I mean, Hase was definitely a kind of, he, he was working heel in this match. Yeah. Very much so, I felt. Yeah, um, yeah. He was definitely seemed, like, quite dismissive of Akiyama that oh, you're not going to get the job done again because Akiyama had still was struggling to get the job done in these big right. matches yeah yeah but you mm. you had like this element of well as as well of like Akiyama kind of oh Akiyama this might be Akiyama's time you know he'd just mm. beaten Misawa in the Champions Carnival so like yeah. he was kind of oh this is this is his his step up you know and this is a big test mm. for him um despite being against Hase who you know, another aspect of of that as well was, you know, the, these walls starting to come down around all Japan, and it's not as walled a garden mm. as well. And like, how much, you know, how did the hardcore all Japan fans feel about that? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's questions of of that as well, especially when Hase had only wrestled like this was his what third or fourth match in 1998. You know, at this wow. point. So, like, you know, people are, you know, here's this part-timer and he's coming in from, like, the other company, you know, and, and what's coming of, of all Japan. So, like, you know, obviously there would be a lot of vitriol, I think, directed at Hase. Um, yeah, and, and that definitely added to this. And, yeah, I I really love the exchange, um, you know, of, of Iranagas and, and Exploders. And then... Mm-hmm. At the end, where you know Akiyama does, and it's a typical sort of Odo Odo trope is like the the tweak on the, you know it's it's not enough to do this this move didn't work so like we have to escalate it to another thing you know and he does that sort of the, the wrist cut so the wrist cut exploder like bomb you know it's almost like a a power bomb variant of the of the yeah. the exploder that, that gets the win in the end disgusting yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> finishes him off of course yeah yeah and that's kind of you know the one of the things that the bubble would would always say when he was training people would be like if you do this move and it doesn't work then you shouldn't go back to it you know you, you need to escalate it in some way which was kind of, of like the, the hallmark of that style of it being mm-hmm. a bit escalating and escalating and escalating yeah which was um you know i think like people today kind of like to talk about safety in pro wrestling and and how you know dangerous moves and and this and that but i don't think they they realized really that there was you know dropping people on their head like neck drop moves were much 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 more in vogue like in 98 they were, 99 2000 they were, they, they were I mean, you 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 see head drop moves even at the openings yeah I mean, it yeah. was all over the shop everything was just i mean these guys were living in the danger zone Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very I mean, even, yeah. even in the match that I picked, um, the Baba Six Man, which is a uh, Baba Hayabusa and uh, Kentaro Shiga mm. against Kanada, Shinzaki, and Izumida, Johnny's Mida, you see head drops in that a lot. Yeah, and yeah, like, and it's a comedy match. This is a comedy match. This is basically a friendly exhibition. It's one of Baba's last matches, and there's a lot of reverence for mm. him. I mean, he. Mm. Um, he takes, I think he takes one bump 
He bumps yeah. um, off a Shinzaki. I think he bumps off the Shinzaki rope walk. No, no, not the rope. No, walk. he doesn't. No, because that the, the, the rope walk no. is like he's got a shitting grin. Like the he whole has time. such a grin on his face. Just imagine, like, this is so fucking stupid. No, <laughs> like Shinzaki jumps <laughs> off and he just goes bit yeah. on top of his head. He yeah, goes, but he, he does. He does take one bump. Um, it was a shoulder block, I think. Like he, he bumped. Yeah, it yeah. was just a shoulder. Um, then the. And yeah, it's just a, it's a purely a comedy match. It's like Bubba's there, you know, make the fans happy, you know. And literally in the end, all Bubba does, like he he rests in the corner. Um, Hayabusa throws um, is a meter to him, and he just lifts his leg like barely up. Yeah, yeah. whacks him. Um, Hayabusa puts him down. Uh, Firebird splash one two three. Yeah, there you go. It's not a classic or anything, but I thought it's. I was kind of watching it just to see, like, oh, you know, what's that like? Because I mean, this is. I mean, this is May nineteen ninety eight. Um, he passes away in January of nineteen ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. So this was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was a point where. Yeah, I think the cancer was there, but like <laughs> it was famously something that they kept secret they for did. as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, as long as know, so literally, there was about five people that knew about it. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's, uh, yeah, just such a bizarre fucking match. You know, he is such, like... Such a weird team, isn't it? Hayabusa and Baba and then, like, Shinzaki and Kamala. You know? Who isn't yeah. even... Who is, who is um, bootleg Kamala? Yeah, course. yeah, bootleg, Not bootleg Kamala too, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you can uh, tell because he's a lot more mobile and does, like, yeah, some of the sentences. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, the, yeah, the, obviously it's it's Hayabusa and Shinzaki, the, the, the workers of, of the match, and they, they do... Do mm. like the the yeah, the legwork in this, and then like this is setting up. You know, they shake hands afterwards. This setting up, they they tag through they tag. the rest of ninety eight and ninety nine, including in um, ECW. Yeah, of yeah, against Sabu, Heatwave ninety eight. Yeah, there you are. So, I mean, of these these three shows from from two companies, Kim, which which was your your favorite to to go back and look through? Oh, I think it would have to be the All Japan one. All Japan. As I say, I mean, All Japan was how I first really got into Japanese wrestling. So, obviously, seeing all these names, you know, you've got you've got a, such a packed card. I mean, obviously, you've got Misawa Kawada. You've got um, a match. Um, the semi-main is uh, Johnny Ace and Kenta Kobashi versus Hanson mm. and Vader. Um, all Bright and Steve Williams are on the card. Yeah. Um, ev- everyone's on this card, basically. So, you know, it's pretty much as complete a show if not not exactly the but not necessarily the best show but certainly as far as all the stars go it's as complete a show of 90s all japan as you're probably going to get yeah yeah i i think uh that's that's a fair assessment yeah everyone's on it <laughs> everyone is on it yeah yeah mm. and it's it's interesting in a way you know whether all japan would have you know what would have it been like if all japan had, had run the tokyo more more often you know um yeah, it's like what if what if Matoko and Misawa get along? Yeah, yeah. Happens. Where where what, would they have gone all, then? Yeah. What, where does all Japan go without the split? Right, right, and yeah. How would that compromise have been? You know, Misawa being a modernizing force and Baba being so conservative. Would they would they have stayed conservative or would like Misawa mm-hmm. have, have modernized that all Japan product, which is probably yeah. you know what it needed uh, in the would end. Misawa- and, and yeah, I mean, it builds in so many things. Would Missile have been able to take a back seat eventually? Yeah, yeah. you never. Know. You never know. You never know. That mm. such is uh, such is life. Um, yes. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for for hopping on. Um, next time. Next time we'll be looking at uh, 1999, uh, including, yeah, as I alluded to before, one of the most controversial uh, moments in, in Tokyo Dome history. And I'll be joined by Dan the Mouth Lovansky, uh for that show. Um, but before we get on out of here, Kim, uh, understanding that uh, your Urgeis video is probably already out at this point because... Um, <laughs> If people supported Eggshells on Indiegogo before release, thank you very much. Um, they've probably already listened to this, um, but the general po- public on post wrestling will be hearing this uh, in about two months. Where are we? September. Oh wow! Two so, months. well, I don't really time, sen- time unsensitively. What have you got <laughs> going on in September, Kim? Um, well, in September, um, I'll be going to the Manchester Play Expo in October. Um, but video-wise, I mean, I mostly do documentaries about video game companies. I do the odd wrestling video here and there, and I'm sure that I will have 
at least one up on something. My next big documentary, which you probably, which will probably be out by the time you listen to this, is on Sensible Software. Maybe there'll be a Codemasters documentary coming around the time this out. It's it's really hard to speculate, dude. <laughs> I, I barely have ideas from one week to the next. It's very, it's very on the fly, my channel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I envy yeah. you this two month planning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that's the thing. It's nice to nice to have a little backlog, but at the same time, this is we're recording this just two days before the book comes out. Um, and people, the the number of people who email me or mention me on Twitter and saying, what, what are you writing about next? I, I don't know. <laughs> like, maybe nothing ever. Like, I, you're like, leave me alone. Give me a minute. Give me a, <laughs> give me a minute. Uh, all right. Well, you can give uh, Kim a follow at KimXXXJustice on Twitter. Um, thanks again. And uh, definitely check out all of her great stuff on YouTube. Cheers, Kim. And uh, thanks to everybody listening. And uh, I'll speak to you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>